Hello and welcome to the Positive Choices Podcast, where we give you brain-based strategies to help children make positive choices, solve social problems, regulate strong feelings, and thrive. I'm Lindsay Keeley, a social and emotional learning specialist and your host. In today's episode, we continue our conversation about discipline by talking about guilt, shame, and empathy. We'll explore how these terms are different and why it's important to have a solid understanding of them as we get intentional about how we live, parent, and teach. Be sure to stick around until the end of the episode for that practical tip that you can implement today. Let's get started. Hey there, thank you so much for joining me today as we talk about shame, guilt, and empathy. And this is a really important topic from a research perspective, but also it's important to me personally, this is how my whole journey of creating positive choices, how it began. I was in my undergraduate studies, working in different classroom settings, and then learning about child development, human development, family studies. I was so passionate about this work. And then I was in my master's of arts and teaching program in some classroom settings, and I started to realize that there were practices being done in schools that really affected students' self-image, the way that they viewed themselves as learners. And in fact, my thesis for my master's program was all about how do you view yourself as a student? And this is what I asked students in one-on-one interviews and classroom observations. I researched with kindergartners and fourth graders, and I started to notice a theme, a trend in the data that I was collecting And that the shame that was evident and that came through was so connected to different practices and systems. And the fact that as educators, we have the best of intentions, we have these different tools that we want to use to be able to help children, and and yet there are different unintended consequences that can come from the things we say, the things we do, and the systems that are in place. And so that's kind of what started my whole journey. I wanted to know, what can we do? What's a better way to help children with behavioral struggles? Last week, we talked about discipline. We started to talk about this conversation. Discipline is one of the number one most challenging topics as it pertains to parenting and teaching. How do we handle those challenging behaviors? What do we do in moments of problem solving? And we talked last week about the importance of understanding the true meaning. And we define discipline as the concept of discipline means to teach. So what are we teaching our children in the face of challenges? And ultimately, how does that help them build resilience? And how does that help them build lifelong skills like the ability to regulate emotions, solve problems, repair social issues? So that was kind of where our conversation started last week. And this week, I want to start to tie in the concept of shame and guilt and empathy because it is so connected connected to how we implement a discipline system. Even if we have our intention, we talked about the importance of a discipline philosophy. So even if we say, okay, my philosophy is discipline means to teach, and I want to have high connection and high structure and boundaries. Last week, we talked about the four parenting styles and how the authoritative parenting style, that's the one that is the most highly correlated with positive outcomes in one's life, like social emotional learning, social intelligence, um, an individual's ability to have lasting relationships and better mental health. Um, 
that element, that element of parenting was high connection and empathy with children and also having that boundary and that structure. And so as we think about the importance of saying, okay, my philosophy of discipline is to teach and I want to have high boundaries and high empathy. Awesome. So maybe you have this this structure in your head and that's what happened to me when I was in my undergraduate program and even my graduate studies, I was like, this is what I believe. I knew the research. Here we go. And then I enter into my first year of teaching, my second year of teaching, and I realize, hey, it's one thing to have this super awesome philosophy and concepts, but it's an entirely different thing when you have a room full of 28 kindergartners and you have seven of them who are all having behavioral uh, regulation challenges. You have one student this my second year in particular, one student ran out of the room, another one slugged someone else in the face. Then I had a different student who was screaming, another one was crying. Um, days later, this I mean, I'm talking, this is the first week of school, y'all. This was this this was um real. The struggle was real. One student pulled the fire alarm during lunch. It was just intense. And what I learned that year is it's one thing to have a philosophy. And it's an entirely different thing to be able to implement that philosophy. You could also think of it as living within your values. So I wanted to teach and live within my values of having this, you know, fostering positive relationships with my students. And yet I had to pull back and say, whoa, how do I do this? Because I am encountering all these difficulties. And so what I did know, I knew that I did not want to use a system for discipline that had children feel shame. And when I was doing my thesis and my research, I found that there were different classroom management systems that were public in nature where children had, um, you know, a clip or a name card where their name was displayed in front of the room. And if they made a, a social mistake, like blurting out, maybe they were, um, they pushed a peer, some kind of physical misbehavior, they would move their name down to a lesser color or a lower social standing. And that was something that in my research, as I did interviews, that really affected children. I had students who were reporting to me, you know, at that point I was Lindsay Brown. So, you know, um, Miss Brown, I'm a red kid because I'm on red all the time. Now, when I say red, I'm referring to a clip chart, which is a behavioral management chart that is used in classrooms on the wall. And a children, you know, child would go over and move their name down if a teacher notices that they're not following a direction and they do what I equated in my mind of the walk of shame over to the chart, move their name down. And the, the thing is that the unintended consequence is that that child is looking around the room Social referencing is huge in psychology, especially in child development. So they're looking around the room and they're seeing their peers notice them. And because I had the ability, I had the luxury of time, I was able to sit and talk to students. I was able to hear them say things like, Miss Brown, I'm a red kid, or Miss Brown, I'm a green kid, which is a good color. But these three kids are red. And even when I was in a parent teaching conference, I was, you know, observing and I, there were parents who were saying, hey, I want to make sure that my son isn't seated at this table with these students because we know that fill in the blank, a student's name is a red kid. And so I was just shocked by the fact that children were identifying as young as five years of age. Kids were identifying their themselves, their identity as a student with a color and having a negative perception. And so I was like, 
I have to do something. I do not want to use any kind of shaming system. And so as I got into my teaching, again, that second year with all of those major behaviors, I was like, whoa, (laughs) I need to pull back because even if we're not using systems that look outwardly, like, you know, maybe shame-based or a shame element, even when we say certain things, the tone that we use, if we call a student out, um, Sarah, you know that we don't run in the hallway or... Timmy, I've told you five times now, that is not how we act at the carpet. So maybe you're not using a tool where you're moving their name down, or maybe you you don't have it displayed publicly. And yet the words that we use, the tone that we have, that can all impact the concept of shame and how that affects children. And so that's kind of my background where I was like, whoa, red flag. I started seeing these things, these trends and data. Then I realized, okay, I want to have this awesome philosophy. And then I realized, whoa, it's really hard to do this. Um, And luckily, I had the time and resources to be able to do research and create a program that helped children navigate social problems and learn from mistakes in a way where shame wasn't the driving factor. And so as I'm talking about shame and guilt, it's really important that we clear up the definitions and we talk about the difference between those two words. Because if you think that those words are synonymous, you might be thinking, wait a second, we need to teach kids right from wrong. They need to know that it's not okay to punch someone in the face. It's not okay to pull the fire alarm during lunch Oftentimes, when we think about the word shame and guilt, we have a synonymous definition, thinking that they are the same, when in fact, they are very different. And that's why, let's stop for a moment in this uh, story that I'm telling you about my story. Let's stop and talk about what that looks like in the research and the differences. And to do that, we're going to talk about one of my all-time favorite researchers named Dr. Brene Brown. Dr. Brene Brown is a research professor at the University of Houston, and she has spent the past two decades studying courage, vulnerability, shame, and empathy. She is the author of five number one New York Times bestsellers, and she hosts the Unlocking Us podcast, as well as the Dare to Lead podcast, which I listen to every week. She also has a very famous TED Talk entitled The Power of Vulnerability, and it's one of the top five most viewed TED Talks in the world with over 50 million views. And so her, one of her big points that she communicates and articulates to her audience and to the world is that shame and guilt are different. And here's how she defines them and differentiates them. Shame is the notion that I am bad and the focus is on the self. Whereas guilt is focused on the behavior and that notion is what I did was bad. And so you might be thinking, okay, they sound similar. Why is it important to have that difference? Why is it important to understand how those differ? And the research shows that those who are more prone to shame, those who experience shame at a higher degree, have a higher likelihood or an increased rate of addiction, depression, suicide, and other negative health outcomes. And so 
as we think about how we're interacting with children, and even as we're having examining our own self-talk and, and examining our adult relationships and whether or not those have a shaming element, it is crucial that we make sure that we are promoting shame resilience and that we're not holding space and that we're not promoting shame by any means. And here's what that might sound like as we're thinking about a child's negative self-talk. So let's give the example of a child who went out to recess and maybe was really hyper or got upset and then they pushed someone down. So shame, a child's inner self-talk, that would be, I'm so stupid, I'm such a bad kid, I'm a bad friend, no one likes me, I'm so, I'm so bad, right? That's That would be the shame feeling. Now guilt, on the other hand, the child would still acknowledge that pushing or being physically aggressive isn't okay. And that self-talk might sound like, oh man, I pushed my friend down, that made him sad and he hurt his knee and gosh, next time I, I don't wanna do that. So that child's focused on the, the behavior, but not dwelling on the self. And here's the important thing. When children, when adults, even adults, when we are focused on the behavior, And when we turn that into behavioral change because we're having empathy as a part of that, that's what's going to lead to the the positive behavior change where we're making a different choice next time. However, if we're focused on the shame, that can actually perpetuate the negative behavior and it can lead to those adverse health outcomes. And so the reason why I bring this up is because As we're considering discipline, how do we teach kids and how do we handle problematic behavior? We want to make sure that the focus is on helping children learn from the problem, not shaming them, not saying, if you say you're a liar or you're a bad friend or you are fill in the blank to a child, that is promoting shame. That's fostering the thought and the belief that I am bad. There is something wrong with me. And Dr. Brene Brown also, she expands on the concept of shame by clarifying it even further. She describes it as a deeply painful feeling or experience of the belief that we are flawed and somehow unworthy of belonging, love, and connection. And as we consider what we're doing with children, we want to make sure that our messaging is not contributing to the belief that they are unworthy of our connection and that they're unworthy of love and belonging. And so one of the reasons why we want to make sure that what we're doing isn't in alignment with this is because children can easily misinterpret behaviors or situations as a sign that they are somehow unworthy of connection. For instance, if we tell a child that Even if we say, that is not okay, we do not push others, you need to go sit on the wall and you cannot play at recess with your friends because you are not safe. You are not as safe right now at school. Um, If they're being socially isolated, that can be, and the data shows, doing behaviors like that, that can foster that feeling of the child thinking, I'm bad. I'm not worthy of connection or belonging. I can't even be with my friends because I am so bad. And yet... If we shift our vernacular, if we have them acknowledge, oh, wow, what I did was bad, so not shame, but the the elements that are more close to guilt, then they're able to say, oh, okay, what I did was bad, 
and I can make a plan, a different plan for next time. And so something that's really, really powerful, moving beyond the concept of even guilt, let's move further past that, rather than focusing on guilt, okay, shame is bad, guilt is good, rather than saying guilt is good, the true motivator of being able to have that change isn't just the guilt, but the most, the most powerful thing that we can have that will lead to the feelings of worthiness, of love, belonging, and connection is empathy. And if we can help children understand the feelings of others, understand what was going for them internally so they can have self-compassion and grace for themselves, but also realize, oh, when I did this, when I pushed my friend down because I was mad, this is how it affected them. And the last thing that I'll point out is accountability. And this will be the topic of our next episode because being able to say, okay, maybe there's that element of guilt. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This, you know, the, the, the person's like, okay, this was bad. I should not have punched someone in the face. Um, empathy. Oh, oh, I see how that affected them. Now, as adults, we want to make sure that we're also having those systems of accountability and being able to have a restorative approach. So if a child um, has this issue behaviorally, we want them to understand how that affected others. And we want to have a repair, the accountability. So, oh, now what we're going to do, we're going to make an apology letter. We're going to have you um, say sorry and do something kind for the person that you hurt. We're going to make a plan for next time. So next time that you feel really upset and angry about something, um, you can do some calming breaths. You can take a brain break. I'll link in the show notes um, the resources that we've talked about before about brain breaks. And so you can move beyond shame, beyond guilt, and really land in the land of empathy, and accountability. So your tip for this week is to pause and ask yourself, is what I'm doing or what I'm saying to children causing shame? And if so, how can I shift the focus to focusing on the behavior rather than the child? Focus on the behavior. Talk about why a certain behavior is a problem. Help them understand how other people feel the empathy piece, and then how can I start to figure out ways so that the child can repair with others? A great test if you're wondering whether or not a certain thing you're saying or doing is shame-inducing is to ask yourself, how would you feel if it happened to you? For instance, let's say you're pausing and you're considering whether or not the way that you're talking to your child is causing shame. Well, you could ask yourself, how would it feel if another adult said the same exact thing to me in a similar context? So let's say that you are at a dinner party and your husband or partner is telling a great story and then you want to add on to it and you want to add to the story. But then as you start to talk, your partner interrupts you and says, you just interrupted me. That's not okay. That's the fifth time that I've told you to stop interrupting me. Can you imagine if you were spoken to that way in front of your peers, just think about that. If you feel that that would cause you a sense of shame, it's pretty likely that that would also have your children or the, the children that you work with feel a sense of shame as well. So that's one way to start to consider whether or not the things that you do or say have a shaming effect. Next week, we're going to talk more specifically about how to build empathy, have accountability, and solve problems productively. We will talk with you soon. Make sure to follow us on Instagram so you can take our poll and we look forward to continuing this conversation.
Talk with you soon.